0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org slash sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. One of the joys of uh, my current deployment for Christ is that I get to travel all over the United States and all over the world. Now, I was asked, How many days a month do you travel Uh, when I came in this morning? And I said, well, in the last year, it's not been so much because the pandemic has kind of kept us close to home. But um, I get to travel to many different parts of our church, both domestically and internationally. And I see the church in so many different expressions. I've worshiped with believers in Zimbabwe and in uh, Kenya in the Congo, under brush arbors and outside. I've worshiped it with uh, folks in large cities and great cathedrals. And I've worshiped in places where people gather in simple settings, in community centers. But the church is alive and vigorous in those places. I grew up in a season, like perhaps some of you, when the church was the center of most communities. My parents were deeply invested in their faith My father was an Air Force enlisted man, and so we moved around a bit. And um, I I told people my family had two commitments when we would move to a new community. Find the place where we were going to sleep that night, pretty important. Find the place where we were going to worship on that Sunday. I never remember a time when I wasn't in church growing up. I I came to faith, believe it or not. When I was four years old in a vacation Bible school in a church much like this. If you've ever been a vacation Bible school teacher, you can have this kind of impact upon a young man. I I, uh, was was sitting on the floor in the kindergarten room, and uh, the teacher was using a flannel board. Do some of you remember those old technologies, the flannel board? And she was telling the story of uh that Jesus told of the shepherd who left the 99 sheep and went and lost looked for looking for the one lost sheep and um, then she just said these words that seem so natural Jesus is looking for you and if you'd like to be found by him and be one of his sheep he'd love to find you today and there was just something that welled up in me and I jumped up off the floor and and childlike faith threw up my arms and said, I want to be one of Jesus's sheep. And it was in that moment that I knew that Jesus loved me, that he'd come looking for me and found me. Now, my understanding of what that means is a lot different today than it was then. In some ways, it was better then because it was a simple childlike faith. But now I know what God is doing in my life in so much deeper ways. And I know his hopes and dreams for me. Though the church has been ascendant for a lot of uh, uh, U.S. history, we're in a time of great challenge for the church across our nation and in the West. The church no longer is the center in some communities. Uh, The church has uh, a problem of identity, it would seem like. Do Do we accommodate the culture around us? Do we seek to be pleasing to the people that we're in the midst of, or do we strive to be those who would shape and form the culture around us so it increasingly becomes the dwelling place of God and the kingdom of God in our midst? Recently, the Gallup organization that does polling announced uh, the results of a survey that showed for the first time in over 100 years that less than 50% of the people here in the United States... Uh, say that they're members of a church. And demographers tell us that the number is probably far less than that because oftentimes people will say they're a member of the church, but the church has never seen them or doesn't see them very frequently and might say, who are you? We don't know you. I, I planted a church in Virginia. It's called Wilderness Community Church. It's in the area where the Battle of the Wilderness was fought in the Civil War, but it's a uh, beautiful spiritual imagery. And we had the opportunity to reach people that were far from God. About 75% of the church, uh, the folks who attended, had not attended another church in the five years before they came to Wilderness. 95% of the people who joined the church had never heard of the Methodist church before, and that was our mission field. I remember one day I was in a in the convenience store and uh, there was a line of people behind me and I heard one woman say to another, uh, "Well, what what church do you go to?" And the woman said, "Oh, I go to Wilderness Community Church." And I turned around to look to see who it was and I didn't recognize her, you know. Uh, uh, and so somehow she had claimed us, but we didn't know she had claimed us. That's the kind of world that we seem to live in, where our commitments sometimes don't go very deep. At this season of my life, God has called me to be part of a movement that seeks to bring renewal and revival to the church theologically, to return to our roots, um, the Christian teaching that has been handed down to us in the Wesleyan tradition, to work for a, a renewed, vibrant church that will return to its historic mission and so um, I'm, I'm part of visioning and working toward the establishment of the Global Methodist Church. It's a great calling, and I'm surrounded by incredible people that, all across the world that are working toward it. But as I think about the church and where we are, and what Peter says to us in this uh, second chapter of First Peter, I think Peter is giving us three prescriptions for the church today— that I would just offer up to you as uh, as something that we ought to reflect upon and lean into. Those three prescriptions are that we would know our identity in Christ. Some of us, we need to remember that identity in Christ. Others of us need to recover the identity, our identity in Christ, because it has become surrounded and uh, heaped over by other things that are part of our, our lives. Secondly, we need to be aware and dependent upon the resurrection power of Jesus, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that empowers and brings life to the church and brings life to each of our ministries. And then we need to be about the the mission that God has given us of proclaiming um, his his goodness and and his saving power, uh, the mighty deeds that he wants to do in our midst. So first, let me touch upon our identity. You know, um, if I were to ask you to tell me about your life, you might tell me all kinds of things that defined you. You're, you're a parent, you're a, a child, you, uh, you do a certain thing for vocation. You have certain favorite musicians or sports teams that you follow. And oftentimes, our identity becomes encased in all these things that are out there. What well, Peter says to us in this letter that we are continually coming to Christ. You never fully arrive. I think that's a great part of this journey. It's a great adventure and every day God is showing us something new about what he wants to do in our lives. We're continually coming to Christ. And Peter describes this as Christ who is our living stone. A living stone, what a strange image uh, to perhaps latch upon. But what Peter is saying here is this living stone is representative of the resurrected Jesus who is fully alive in our midst. And we are coming to him and God is forming us into living stones that are united with Christ. What that says to me is that we have already begun to experience the resurrection power of Jesus. This is not some future hope for us. But as we come to Christ, the resurrected presence of Christ enters into our lives and he begins to change and transform us. And I am living the eternal life that God has for me even here and now. It's not something that I'm to wait for in a future time, but I can begin to experience it here and now in the midst of life as as we journey through it. Not only are we being made into living stones, but our living stones are being fit together into a spiritual house, um, uh, into a house that God is building. Now, now you, you, I'm sure, are aware of this. In, in the days when Peter was writing this, in the decades and years before, uh, the people of God, the Jewish people, believed that in order to truly worship God, they needed to go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's why that was a huge part of their annual rhythms, going to Jerusalem to participate in the festivals of the Jewish faith. And and the the belief of the people was that God uniquely was present and dwelt in that temple. But Peter is exploding that paradigm. Peter is saying that that God dwells in the midst of us as a gathered people, that that we together as the body of Christ are formed and fitted together into a spiritual temple where we can experience the presence of God right where we live and work and move through the daily rhythms of life. We are a community that is distributed, no longer confined within a grand temple, but spread into the world where we carry the very Presence of Christ with us as the gathered community and as His servants deployed, and and we have this opportunity to represent God to witness for Him wherever we are. You know the recent uh, time that we've been through the pandemic that we've been through has uh, shown the churches have shown incredible innovation in this period. Uh, Matt was telling me how God had prepared this church for uh, the advent of. Pandemic and the, the shutdown of our, our weekly services in some areas it's been longer than others. Uh, you all were able to begin broadcasting your sir you you started broadcasting your services even before the pandemic had arrived and you were in a position to move into that. But one two things that I think the pandemic has demonstrated to us is first um, how building centric the church in the United States in the West has become. Um, The church uh, in many parts of of our country uh, regards itself as a place where it gathers on Sunday. And that's where holy things happen. And if if people are going to encounter God, they need to come to that physical place. But that's not God's vision for the church. Our buildings are an important resource. Sometimes it's the most expensive resource that we have as the body of Christ. But our buildings are a tool. They don't. They're not the church. You're the church, the these living stones built into this spiritual house, and so I believe one of the things God has brought out of this season of pandemic is a renewed awareness of how we can be the church wherever we are, any time in the week, and how we can connect as believers outside of a Sunday morning. That's the other thing that I think God has shown us in this pandemic season, is how Sunday-centric so many churches have become. We have our our Sunday gathering time and the activities around the church, and then we're drawn in a thousand different places during the week, oftentimes forgetting our identity as followers of Jesus Christ just because of the environment and circumstances that we're in. God is reminding us that you have been called to be part of a holy priesthood, and the role of a holy priesthood is to Offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And we have that opportunity to do that wherever we are in every moment of the week. If, God, if you were to be asked by someone to describe your identity as a Christ follower, what would you say to them? Would you have an answer for them as to your identity? Jesus, uh, Peter here in this passage uses some incredible words to describe us. First, he says, You are a chosen race. Do you have a sense of that? That God has pursued you intentionally? That you're just not accidentally part of this gathered community? That that God has a distinct purpose for inviting you into this fellowship? That you're not an add-on or an afterthought? That amongst all the people that he could have chosen. He's chosen you. And he's chosen you not because you have something special about yourself that you offer him, although many of you have incredible gifts that you can offer God. But he's not chosen you because you were in a right relationship with him or because you have something that he couldn't get somewhere else. He's chosen you because he loves you. He made you. He loves you. He knows who you are. He knows you with all your warts and scars and brokenness and all of that. And he loves you, wants to draw you into a relationship with him. Like the Jewish people, they were chosen not because they were the greatest of nations or that they would do the most amazing things for God in their own strength. No, they were chosen so that they might be a vessel for God. We are chosen to be part of the tribe of Jesus. And I wonder, when people see us in the community, do they see Jesus in us? Do they see Jesus reaching them, touching them? I, I, I like observing people's license plates and trying to figure out what they mean if they are not just numbers or letters, okay. I, I, I love looking at people's email addresses they usually tell something about someone. My, my personal email address is K-B-M-I-N-L-A-W, KB Menlaw. Well, You know what the KB is, Keith Boyette, but the M-I-N is, I'm a minister, and L-A-W, well, I'm also a lawyer. Now, I know that's probably shocked to some of you. Okay. I'm a recovering attorney. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, God can even touch attorneys, and there may be an attorney here, and I don't mean any offense. But, but uh, that, that that kind of wraps up a part of my identity, you know, that that uh, I'm a minister and a lawyer. Well, God wants us. God wants us to be to be emblematic of this chosen race. People that are marked by Jesus. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a person, you probably are, that when I go out to eat, I pray in public, okay? And um, uh, I've had several interesting experiences since I've been here in Montgomery. The other night I was in a restaurant, and the, the man and woman that I was eating with, when we got done, they said, we'd like to pray for you. And so we stood up, and they gathered around me and laid hands on me right there in the middle of the restaurant, and they were praying up a storm. And when, I, when they got done, and I looked up, all these people were watching us, and, and several of them went like this, you know. And all of a sudden, the spirit, the, the presence of God was in a public place. The church had arrived, and a witness was occurring. Not only are we a, a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood. We're to represent God to people. Some, some people are never going to encounter God except as you present them present him to them through your witness, through your representation of him. And then we were given the privilege of inviting people to connect with God as we are their guide, so to speak. When I was an attorney, I was a trial attorney, and I got to tell you that most of my clients were far from God, okay? And most of the time they had, they had difficulties that really only God could, could solve, It was a spiritual matter they were contending with. And so I would listen to what they were saying and I would would give them my counsel. And then I would always end the time by saying, this isn't on the clock, I've turned off the meter. Can I pray for you? And I told you many of them were, were far from God, but I never had a single client say, no, you can't pray for me. And God answered many of those prayers and many of those people became followers of Jesus because a lawyer prayed for them in a law office, took on the mantle of being one of his royal peace priests. We're a holy nation. We're not, we're not um, uh, of this world. We're, we're in the midst of it. But we're, we're citizens of a different kingdom. Our allegiance is to more than this world can offer. Our king is a king who is above all kings. And that radically reorients the way we live through life. And then um, or we're a, a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's our identity. It, I, I would remind you of that identity today. When you go from this place, know that you carry that mantle on your, on your um, shoulders as you go out into the world. Then I would say to you, we need to remember the resurrection power of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, and be dependent upon that. You know, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is present for each and every one of us in every moment. We dare not undertake anything apart from the infilling of the Holy Spirit and dependent upon Him. When I was asked to consider becoming president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, I very quickly said, I'm not interested. I mean, i had been pastor at Wilderness for 19 years. We were a year away from our 20th anniversary. I thought that would be great to be there to celebrate that. I figured that was a good run and maybe I'd retire at that point. I didn't feel equipped to be the president of an organization that would be undertaking to form a new denomination out of the chaos of the United Methodist Church. But God, like He in our, in, in our calls all the time, he won't let go. I, I argued with him so much that I even sat there. I, he told me, you'll fill out that form. And I filled it out, and the deadline was noon on a Saturday. And I sat there through the morning refusing to press the enter button on the computer to send it. Until finally at 11.55, I hit the button. What God was dealing, what I was dealing with was my sense of inadequacy, but it was never about my adequacy or my inadequacy. It was about whether I would be a vessel through which God could pour himself, and that's really all God is looking for. Would you open up your life to allow the Holy Spirit of the living God to fill your life to overflowing so that you can do things that are above and beyond anything you could ever imagine, would you be that person that God can use in your circumstance? And would you be a witness for him? The resurrection power of Jesus is available to us all the time, and all we need to do is give the Holy Spirit permission to operate and to be dependent upon him. I am desperately dependent upon him in every moment. And then finally, we're called to proclaim his mighty acts and his goodness. It was February 4th, 1991. I was um, a senior partner in the law firm, a large law firm in Richmond, Virginia, um, with uh, about 50 attorneys in it. I was one of the five directors of the firm. I chaired the litigation section. I'd been f- through a full day of depositions and arguments with attorneys. And I had was driving home, as I did every night, desperately praying, God, would you make me the husband I need to be for my wife and the father my children need, put away the lawyer stuff, and pull out who I need to be, and I was praying. I was on I-195 in Richmond, uh, driving under the overpass for Monument Avenue, when suddenly the Spirit of God filled the car in which I was in, and I heard his voice say to my voice, I want you to leave the practice of law, and I want you to pastor a church for me. I didn't know that was coming, although God had been doing preparation for several years in my life. It came out of the blue and my spirit immediately said yes. And I was so astonished that of the joy that filled me in that moment. Many people didn't understand what was going on there. I had one partner say, you'll come back to us in six months crawling on your knees, you'll be on welfare and you'll beg for your job back. That was his attitude. Others said, we need to get you to a psychiatrist. You've gone crazy, you know. But others said, I understand what's going on in your life. About six months later, I found myself in Wilmore, Kentucky, at Asbury Theological Seminary. Matt and I share that in common. That was our seminary that we went to. And um, it was my first day of seminary, and I was walking down a hallway in the basement of one of the classroom buildings when this very tall gentleman came up to me. And he got right up in my face and he stuck his finger right in the center of my chest and he said, Mr. Boyak, God does not need an advocate. He needs a witness. And he turned and walked away with that. I later learned that his name was J.T. Siemens. He was a professor of missions there at Asbury Seminary. I don't know how he knew me. I don't know how. I I kind of figure he must have been on the admissions committee and maybe saw my picture, okay? But, uh, but, but the statement he made seared into my being god doesn't need an advocate he needs a witness he needs someone to be able to tell others the amazing things that he's doing in people's lives in our lives how he's how he's transformed our lives how he's brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light how he has extended mercy where we don't deserve mercy he needs us to proclaim his goodness. And when we put these three things together, our identity in Christ, that's our—that's our sense where our sense of confidence comes from. Our confidence is not in who we say we are. That's why your song was so on point this morning. I love the way the Holy Spirit works. Did you know that that's where I was going to go? <laughs> you know? uh, but the Holy Spirit, I am not who I say I am. I'm who he says I am okay? That's true for each of us here, and God, has, God believes in you. God has confidence in who you are becoming in him. Claim your identity. Don't lean into your own strength as you go out into the world. Know that it is God working in and through you to accomplish his good works, that he is pouring out upon you the fullness of his Holy Spirit, and be open to that. Be dependent upon that and watch the amazing things he does. And then proclaim his goodness, his, his desire to meet people right where they are. And tell of his good deeds, the mighty acts that he's done in each of you. If we'll do this, we won't have to worry about what the culture is doing around us. We will be those who, who God uses to transform us.